Wait is finally over, folks. On Saturday, the Canadian Premier League will kick off for the first time at Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton as Forge FC take on York 9. My name is Mitchell Tierney. You are listening to the Footy Talks podcast. And on this week's edition, we will preview the CanPL season ahead, as well as our usual chat about Toronto FC. To do all that with me this week, I'm joined by Michael Leach of 680 News. Michael, great as always to have you on the show, especially uh, during this exciting week for Canadian soccer. Thanks very much for having me, Mitchell. And yeah, it is a very, very exciting week for Canadian soccer and and for all of us uh, involved in the game in this country. I think it's uh, I think we might be looking at a turning point week where you know this country becomes a, a football nation on its own. Yeah, for for sure. I mean, uh, I think not having a league certainly. We've talked about this at length, but certainly. Having our own professional league here is is going to be so important going forward in terms of Canadian soccer and what uh, you know the infrastructure and all of that looks like. Uh, b- before we get into you know kind of a preview of the the season ahead, I wanted to talk briefly about what you think some of the biggest factors are going to be for this league success going forward. Um, you know, obviously opening week and uh, all the importance that goes with that. But once that, once kind of the, the, I guess, confetti and fireworks settle, um, what's, what's going to really be the, the important things for this league's underlying success going forward? Well, it's important for them to make a good first impression because uh, mm-hmm. you only get one chance to make a first impression. So that game on Saturday, you know, for for all of the people involved with the Canadian Premier League, it has to feel a little bit like, you know, an expectant father uh, about to have his first child, you know, not really knowing what to expect. Uh, and, and there are probably a lot of nerves there uh, as they get ready to, to kick off on Saturday afternoon in Hamilton. Uh, mm-hmm. They have to make sure that they get this right. The, the product on the field has to be... You know, it, it has to be good, and I suspect that the, the product on the field will not be a problem. I also suspect that the presentation will be well done. We know that the the uh, Tim Hortons field is going to be full uh, on Saturday afternoon, or at least that's what we're, we're being told, is that all of the tickets have been distributed for that game, and there, there should be a large contingent of York 9 fans. So it's just a matter of getting everything to the day and, and having everything come off without a hitch. And, of course... They, you know, they have to have an entertaining game. You, you don't want like a five-zero a blowout or, mm-hmm. or, or you know, a, a really dry zero-zero game. They, 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 they'll want to have a very entertaining product to uh, to not only show the fans in Hamilton at Tim Hortons Field, but also people watching on CBC. Yeah, what do you kind of expect from that game? Because it's it's so unique. I mean, even as uh, analysts or, or journalists breaking it down. We we know a lot of these players. I mean, certainly uh, there's names that jump off the page. We've seen Manny Aparicio and Kyle Becker play for Toronto FC, as well as guys like Quillen Roberts. Uh, Ryan Telfer will be in the lineup as well, someone who we've seen obviously very recently with Toronto FC. But at the same time, we've never seen this collection of players together for either team. So it's, it's such a unique opening day. Uh, do you think it's going to kind of look like what what 
you know, I think it might, which is a bit of preseason football in terms of the the fact that, uh, you know, even though some of these or all of these clubs have had preseason and have had a chance to play together, uh, it's going to be a bit unique in that sense that, you know, this isn't just one expansion club. This is almost seven expansion clubs if we want to use the MLS comparison uh, coming together. Yeah, I, you know, that's the thing. I don't, I don't really know what to expect. I do anticipate that the level of play will be fairly high. I mean, if you're looking, if you're looking for, a, a, you know, a, a European league or even, even an MLS caliber game, I think you probably will be a little bit disappointed. But that said, I expect that the, the quality on the field will be very high. And I'm, I'm again, I'm really hoping for uh, an entertaining game. Uh, as you said, it, we're not just dealing with one expansion team. We're dealing with an expansion league. So th- there's so much that's unknown at this point. Again, I'm just, I'm hoping for an entertaining game that will draw people in and make them want to come back and, 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 you know, enjoy more of what this league will have to offer. Yeah, the good news maybe is that these are kind of two of the teams that look more like finished products in the sense that uh, with Forge, you've kind of got the Sigma connection. And with York, uh, you know, a lot of these players have have spent time together in the kind of different uh, Toronto systems. So at least there'll be some familiarity there with these two teams. So I I think it should be a reasonably entertaining match. Obviously, we'll we'll see what happens on Saturday, but uh, very much looking forward to it and looking forward to the fact that um, I know you will be at the game. Uh, I will not be, unfortunately. I'll be at BMO Field for the Toronto FC game. But uh, And the... therein lies a problem. Yep. I, and I, I have real misgivings about this, and I don't know. I, I, I really don't understand the rationale behind, and I, maybe they, they couldn't do anything about it, but scheduling a game, your, your first ever game, you, I, I really feel like, as a league, you want to be center stage. You want to be the only thing going on that day. And to have it going against a Toronto FC home game against the Portland Timbers, right away, right out of the box, you're asking fans, and it's maybe a bold statement, maybe it's crazy, Mm -hmm. but you're asking people to make a choice right out of the gate. People who, in the GTA, would definitely consider going to Hamilton to Tim Hortons field to check out the inaugural game of the inaugural season of the Canadian Premier League are now faced with, do I go to that game or do I go to TFC? And people tend to be loyal to what they know. Uh, But by all accounts, Tim Hortons field will be full. So that's a positive sign. I just don't really like the idea of putting people in a position where they have to make the choice between the two right out of the gate. Yeah, I mean, uh, like you said, it will overlap at some point, but it it certainly was a curious decision. But at the very least, it will benefit in the fact that uh, the game will be on CBC and we'll we'll be able to watch it that way and make it a little bit easier for those who uh, couldn't get down to Tim Hortons Field for this inaugural game. And uh, we kind of mentioned it the last time we, we talked that this media pro deal could bring in something like this where uh, you know, a, a CBC or a TSN or or some someone like that would come in and pick up broadcast just because it's so easy for them. I mean, Media Pro is doing all the production for you, and they have a professional product that they're going to put out, and uh, you just 
just kind of have to provide the uh, the platform for the game to be broadcast on. So CBC has picked up 20 games uh, for this inaugural season. 10 of them will be broadcast on the channel, and an additional 10 are going to be streamed. Uh, I mean, obviously a, a big positive, and I think, you know, for me, uh, as a Habs fan and and not having anything else to be excited about in these NHL playoffs, the best part so far has been uh, when there is a little banner at the bottom or even the commercials about the Canadian Premier League being broadcast on CBC. And even that in itself, that level of advertising that you get uh, is incredibly valuable for the league. Well, Mitchell, I'm, um, I'm an Ottawa Senators fan and I will freely admit that I watched zero games this year <laughs> until the other night when... We were the the rumors popped up, and we were getting news that there was going to be an an announcement on Hockey Night in Canada about the Canadian Premier League, and I think we all knew what it was going to be. But I ended up watching that that Leafs Bruins game just for that that announcement, and I promptly stopped watching once the commercial aired <laughs> because uh, I don't like either team. So frankly. I wish both of them could lose, but obviously one of them's going to have to advance. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's certainly how I feel about that series as well. But um, uh, enough hockey talk. Uh, there's plenty of other great platforms where uh, you can get your hockey discussion, certainly, and uh, we'll break it down a little bit better than us. But uh, let's talk about the Canadian Premier League uh, itself and, and get into our preview for that because... Uh, uh, certainly, like we've said, an unpredictable season ahead, but an exciting one nonetheless. And, um, you know, I guess as we go into this inaugural season, anyone's guess, uh, it's its anyone's guess, I guess, in terms of which of these seven clubs will, will come out on top, especially in this, this opening part of the season. I mean, they have until Canada Day to figure out who's going to be the, the spring champion. It's a very interesting format and a very quick race to get off you know to to get off to the start a good start here and that kind of makes it very exciting um but yeah I wanted to talk about which team in particular you think um will be kind of the favorites for that spring season and uh even the season in general who are you watching for in terms of uh, which club has impressed you in the way they've put their players together I'll be completely honest with you. I have no idea. I, I really want to see how these teams come together. And obviously, you know, we're going to find out over the next couple of weeks. And you mentioned it with York and Forge. Both teams are built, uh, you know, with, with players who have maybe spent some time together. So that, that helps. But it's, you know, we're, we're going to have to see how these teams actually, you know, once they get out on the field and and start you know playing the game in anger, how things shape out. I mean, you're asking me what what team I I'll be watching. For me, it's Valor FC, but that's that's purely because I'm a Winnipeg boy, and you can take mm-hmm. the boy out of Winnipeg, but you can't <laughs> take the Winnipeg out of the boy. Again, I'll be paying close attention to Forge and York Nine for geographic reasons, but also for the reasons that you mentioned. They have players that have some professional pedigree, and also potentially have some chemistry together. I think it's going to be very curious to see how those two teams, uh, how those two teams develop and go forward. And, and, you know, also for York in particular, but to a lesser degree, Forge, with Toronto FC in this market and, and the proximity to the city of Toronto, 
the product is going to have to be is going to have to be good and winning is important mm-hmm. in order to make inroads in this market and to develop a solid fan base over the course of this first season. Why aren't you a Jets fan then if you're from Winnipeg? <laughs> uh actually uh if you could see me right now I am I'm actually wearing a Winnipeg Jets Number 10, Dale Howard, Chuck T-shirt. I was very sad when they went out to the St. Louis Blues the other day. The the Senators are my sort of first team, but once the Jets, uh, once the Thrashers moved from Atlanta to Winnipeg, uh, obviously I was back on the Jets bandwagon. I still have a lot of family out there, and they're always always at uh, Bell MTS Place uh, for Jets games. Fair enough. I, I know I was curious, so I was wondering if other listeners would be curious as well. Um, at, at any rate, uh, we've mentioned, um, you know, kind of how it's the, the number of individuals in this league that we, we recognize from, from different things, uh, be it Canadian men's national team, Toronto FC connections. Are, are there any players that you'll be looking at in this inaugural season in terms of, um, you know, who might be early candidates for that MVP or even from a national team standpoint, players you, you might be interested in going forward? Well, for me, I, uh, the players that I'm kind of going to be keeping an eye on are, are players that, you know, as, a, as a, someone who's followed Toronto FC and has followed MLS uh, fairly closely for the last several years, I want to see how those players uh, play out in this league. Mm-hmm. And and what the what their level is in relation to the league, Emery Welshman, the the uh, Toronto FC draft pick in 2013, uh, he's on loan from FC Cincinnati. Uh, I'll be keeping an eye on him. Also, Ryan Telfer with uh, with York Nine. Uh, it, you know, he's a player that is right on the fringe of the MLS first team, and mm-hmm. maybe with a little more seasoning can you know rise to that level. But at this point in his career, he's still very much on the outside looking in at an MLS roster. I'm curious to see where he fits in in this league and what impact he can have on this league to sort of really get a good idea of where the level of play truly is at you know, in, the, in the Canadian Premier League in relation to MLS, obviously, but also the USL. So he's, uh, and he, I, I, to me, he's also kind of one of the poster boys of what the league's mandate is really about, which is giving mm-hmm. opportunities to players, Canadian players, who maybe are falling through the cracks elsewhere. Yeah, I'll throw a, I'll throw an Amr Didich into that mix as well. Um, as a Canadian, you know, a Canadian men's national team. Uh, supporter, I'm obviously going to be keeping an eye on on anyone who's a center back and anyone who's, uh, you know, a center back in that 22 to 24 uh, year old age rate because uh, that's kind of what Canada really needs right now. And uh, he was a player who was very promising at Swope Park Rangers under uh, Mark DeSantos, of course the the coach of the Vancouver Whitecaps now, and he he never really got an opportunity uh, to break through at Sporting Kansas City. Kind of a player like Ryan Telfer, as you mentioned, who was on that fringe of an MLS first team, and and now will get an opportunity to be a consistent first team player in the Canadian Premier League. He's had some great games for the Canadian under-23 side. Uh, You can throw a Luca Gasparato in that mix as well. Those are kind of the players I'll be looking at uh, in, in this inaugural season, especially, you know, 
uh, on an FC Edmonton side for Didik, who uh, doesn't necessarily have a, a large number of other recognizable stars. I think he's going to be very key in that early season to uh, shepherd a team of a lot of FC Edmonton Academy products um, through that inaugural season. So that's a player who I'll certainly be looking for. Any younger players who you'll be looking at, uh, Michael, because, uh, you know, that. that that's kind of another thing the league's going to be incredibly important for is some of these players who uh, fall through the ca- the cracks of MLS academies or, or don't work out in that sense um, and giving them a second chance to uh, really thrive in this league. Well, like you said, there are a lot of good players here under the age of 20. And that's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, that's important. That's, again, that's part of what the league's mandate is, is, is not only uh, capturing players, Canadian players who may not be getting opportunities elsewhere, but it's, it's development of young Canadian talent. I'm really hoping that we can have a few of those sort of under-20 players in this league start to emerge as stars at, at the professional level. One player, obviously, that I, I think I'm going to be looking at very closely because of his, his recent history with TFC2 is 19-year-old midfielder Malik Hamilton with, with Cavs FC. Um, very curious to see how he uh, continues to develop as a player uh, in in the Canadian Premier League. Yeah, I'll add uh, Tristan Borges to that mix. That that's a player who um, I know has a lot of experience over Netherlands uh, with Huron Veen. He played there throughout their academy system. Uh, again, couldn't get a first team sniff, and uh, this is one of those players who again would have fallen through the cracks perhaps if if there wasn't an opportunity to return home and play professionally. Uh, but with all that experience and with some of the things I've seen with him. Um, at the Canadian youth level, you know, he'll be playing in a midfield alongside Kyle Becker with Forge FC, an incredibly technically gifted attacking player uh, is Borges. So I think that he's one of those players who can really emerge here at just 20 and, and you know, potentially be a star on a Forge FC side that has a lot of good players. So, uh, yeah, I'm very excited to see which of these which of these youngsters can step up because I, I think we'll see a couple of them. And then you've got the opportunity to uh, go into that Olympic qualifying cycle for 2020 that will be an early opportunity, I think, for uh, a lot of these young Canadian Premier League players. So very excited for that. Um, on the lighter side now, as, as we move on here, um, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on on some of the early mascots we've seen for the Canadian Premier League and um, what you think about this, because I know there's been some, uh, I, don't, I don't know, there's kind of mixed opinions as to as to the role of mascots and, and whether they're good for this league, but uh, what do you think about what you've seen so far? I'm sitting here with a wry smile on my face because <laughs> I haven't seen them. No? And I, I, no, and it, the thing, I'm, I'm not a mascot guy to begin with in, mm-hmm. in any sport. I, I I don't really care about mascots, so um, you know what? Those are mascots are great for the kids. Um, so maybe I'll maybe I'll ask my nine year old what he thinks of the mascots, <laughs> or my wife. My wife really likes mascots; she's into that. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I I just yeah I don't see why how it can hurt. I guess is no, is, of course is kind not. of my thought. Uh, my thoughts. It's something on it. that you can market. I mean. If you can turn it into a fuzzy, you know, stuffy, stuffed animal sort of thing, that's cool. It's something that you can market and sell. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, I think I think anyone who's kind of criticizing the league's uh, 
look at mascots is, is kind of overthinking a little bit, and and I think kind of as as soccer fans we can end up, uh, you know, kind of criticizing stuff that isn't necessarily targeted at us. So hey, listen, listen, if mascots are what are are, are all that we have to to criticize. <laughs> as we move through this weekend and into you know the throughout the entire season the Canadian Premier League will be in very very good shape because there are far more pressing things that need to be worried about or, or that you know that that are, are just bigger uh bigger things on their plate than you know mascots an excellent point um the final thing i wanted to talk about uh as we look ahead at this Canadian Premier League season is some of the matchups that we'll be seeing. Um, what do you have kind of circled on your calendar as, as some potentially, um, you know, exciting games that you'll be looking forward to in terms of the matchups uh, between some of these sides? For me, it's what they are calling Al Clasico. <laughs> what do you think to of that me, name? Any, uh, yeah, I love it. I think it's cool. Yeah, um, me too, actually. Any game involving... Cavalry FC and FC Edmonton could be a lot of fun, and it it could be more fun in the stands than anywhere else because those two cities hate each other on a level that we don't see pretty much anywhere else in the country. Mm-hmm. I know that they're starting the league off with with Forge and uh, and York Nine, the Hamilton versus the GTA sort of thing, but that rivalry is not even close. The Hamilton-Toronto rivalry is not even close to, uh, to, to what Calgary and Edmonton have through, throughout all sports, professionally, it's Flames, Oilers, and, and in the yeah. Canadian Football League. The, you know, I remember as a kid living in Calgary going to the Labor Day Classic between the Stampeders and the Edmonton Eskimos, and there being fights in the stands, fights in the <laughs> concourses, fights in the parking lot, as that's that's what I'm. I think that's that kind of rivalry. Obviously, without the violence, we don't need mm-hmm. the violence. That's something that we really don't need to import. But I think a heated rivalry is really really good for the league moving forward. Yeah, I'd agree. And uh, I mean, the first meeting between these two sides will be May 18th at Spruce Meadows, which is for me one of the most exciting venues in this league as well. I mean, you know, an iconic. Uh, horse jumping venue that I think a lot of um, Canadian sports fans will recognize and really a beautiful stadium and setup as well. So a, a perfect backdrop for what you said for like, like you said, one of the most exciting matchups uh, in this early season or in this inaugural season of, of the Canadian Premier League, looking very much forward to that one. And uh, another one that I think, uh, people should have circled on their calendars. Forge against Pacific. That's May eighth at Tim Hortons Field. Uh, look, I'm not sure what to make of this Pacific side, but I think they're going to be a lot of fun this year. Just in the fact that they probably have the most experienced and exciting attack uh, in the entire league between Ben Fisk, Issy Nakajima, Fran, and Marcus Haber. Three players with experience in Europe um, and experience with the Canadian men's national team as attackers. So uh, I don't know what they'll look like overall. I mean, um, maybe we can trans, you know, kind of transition this into Toronto FC because they might be in some ways the Toronto FC of uh uh, of the Canadian Premier League, as as again we saw Toronto this weekend in a four three win over Minnesota United, uh, struggle defensively, but certainly look great 
uh, attacking wise. Let's let's start with the positives um, for Toronto FC, and certainly one player that continues to stand out this year is Alejandro Pozuelo. A couple of goals out of almost nowhere for Toronto, adding an assist against Minnesota. Now four goals and five assists uh, in four games for Toronto FC. Uh, I mean, he's got a long way to go to fully warrant these comparisons, but that was a Sebastian Jabinko performance uh, against Minnesota, and we've seen a couple of them from him so far this season, haven't we? Yeah, he's certainly taking the sting out of uh, Jovinko's departure uh, from Toronto. So, yeah, I mean, he the thing I really enjoy about watching Pasuelo play is that is just how effortless he makes things look particularly between the lines his ability to use both feet uh, you know use both feet um creates mm. you know a real dilemma for def- for defenders they have to gamble as to which way he's going to go and the law of probability says you're going to get it wrong half the time and and that's exactly what happened to Michael Boxall he was the the victim on the first goal there Pozuelo Showed him the fake to the left, and and Boxall has to has to respect that because of his ability with his left foot. He bit on it. Pozuelo slices back to the to the right, and and hammers a cannon past Pinone. So, you know, again, he's as you said, he's got a long way to go to sort of create the the pedigree and and the uh, the body of work that Sebastian Jovinko built here in Toronto. Not ready to put a statue outside of BMO Field of, of <laughs> Alejandro Pozuelo just yet. But certainly the early returns on him have been really, really good. And he just takes that attack that looked, you know, prior to his arrival, looked really pedestrian at times, somewhat boring, and has really turned that into a dynamic attack. And the, the chemistry that he's built with Josie going forward has been, it's it's exciting to watch. Yeah, and certainly the other uh, big positive for this game from Toronto FC is is Jordan Hamilton, a player who um, for for years now it seems like it's, ever since I started covering Toronto FC, it's it's been when will he make his breakthrough? And uh, we thought it might never come after last season, and and perhaps the the fact that he might be departing this off season, but then. Resigned with the club and and by all accounts had a very good off season in terms of working hard and and getting in shape and really being mentally ready for the season and uh, a pair of goals off the bench to win the game for Toronto FC. I mean, um, one of them a chaotic tap in that I still can't believe wasn't cleared off the line. That being the winning goal, but uh, that's exactly what you want to see from Hamilton this season. And now uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the Josie situation in a little bit. But with Josie out two to three weeks uh, potentially even more it, it seems like this is a huge opportunity for Jordan because you know you've got Io Akinola there who we know Toronto FC thinks highly of and Terrence Boyd as well who um, you know really hasn't been given a, a major opportunity this season but hasn't necessarily looked perfectly sharp when he has so this is really an opportunity for Hamilton to become that second striker and make that position his own behind Josie um, and a really great opportunity to do that uh, starting this weekend against Portland. Absolutely and and as you said, you know, you've got Io Akinola coming up and he is, you know, he is a dynamic player. I think has a real future. You've got Terrence Boyd who was brought in sort of I think as the idea with with Boyd was to have him 
slot in as the second striker. The internal competition is good. It's good for all of them. And Hamilton has thrived in that situation. He's made the most of his opportunities. I think it's three goals in about 160 minutes, which is a pretty, you know, a pretty good goals per 90 rate or, you know, whatever you want to mm-hmm. look at, however you want to break that down. He has made the most of the opportunity. It is an important year for him. Uh, and, and Greg Vanny said it. He's, he's got to take a step forward this year uh, to avoid being left behind because, as you said, Io Akinola is coming up. It's really kind of make or break. It's now or never, if you, know, if you want to use a sort of lame cliche for, for Hamilton, he's got to make his mark. And uh, to this point of the season, in the opportunities that he's been given, he has made the most of them. Yeah, let's let's move on to perhaps the negative of this, and that being, uh, you know, as much as Toronto FC scored four, they needed to score those four goals because they conceded three. Um, it's you know, it, it seems like the same old story for Toronto FC. Now, I don't, uh, I don't know if I necessarily completely agree with that. I think they have been perhaps a little bit better defending this season. Uh, they seem to be at very least from the numbers providing opponents with less chances uh, but the quality of those chances remains high and uh, w- with uh, you know Alex Bono still struggling I mean the the Darwin Quintero goal certainly um, from this past weekend was very avoidable from him and I know he made some some big saves after that but at the same time um, you know it's it's still very shaky back there and and that's got to be a concern because uh you don't want to to put the pressure on guys like Pozuelo and Altidore and your attacking players to have to bail you out in in every game because that's certainly going to catch up with you eventually yeah scoring three goals a game is probably not sustainable so they mm-hmm. are going to have to clean up a few things you know, obviously not having Drew Moore there. Uh, Drew is a stabilizing force on that back line. And mm-hmm. speaking with, with Drew and Greg Vanny and a f- few of the other guys, the chemistry between Mavinga and the communication between Mavinga and Simon is apparently not a problem. Um, both French-speaking players. There's no issue with language or anything. If there were to be an issue with language, you would think that Drew would be the one that would be most likely to have the issue in terms of language. But one thing that Vanny has been almost zealous about in preaching so far this season is team defending. They have to be a better team as a group defending. It's not just the back line. When, when I remember very, very clearly he was asked about the, the clean sheet that TFC put up against uh, New York City. Vanny was asked about the defending. And the first words out of his mouth were trumpeting the play of Pozuelo and Altidore. And it's not what you would yeah. expect when being faced with a question about defending. You're two attacking stars. The guys that you rely on to score the goals. He's talking about their importance and how important they are to the team in terms of defending when they don't have the ball because, as he says, they set things up for the players behind them when the team doesn't have the ball. After the Seattle game, he stressed the same thing, the need to deal with things better before the ball reaches the box. Yes, they've limited the number of chances, but they haven't limited them maybe enough. 
That said, when the ball has been getting into the box, things have been a bit calamitous at times. So <laughs> I think yeah. for as far as Greg Vanny goes, his philosophy is that as a group from front to back, back to front, they have to be better defending as a, as a complete group, as a unit. Yeah, and that certainly makes sense. I, I, I do think even last year, a lot of the breakdowns we saw did kind of start in that midfield, and we've seen that again this year, that uh, th- there's been some issues there. So, yeah, team defending is is incredibly important going forward, and and it makes you wonder perhaps what, they're, what they might be thinking in terms of uh, bringing in some players to, to kind of help in that aspect. And we know Bill Manning was in Italy um, recently. Um, Ali Curtis as well has been obviously working hard on on trying to bring in uh, one or two TAM players to kind of supplement this roster. Um, we know there's the May 7th deadline as well, which uh, which is looming over all of this, and, and the team has to consider in terms of bringing in players. But I kind of wonder at this point, and um, it really seems like perhaps we might have to wait till the summer, but I don't know if that's necessarily the worst thing in terms of the fact that one, the club has been off to such a great start, so you don't necessarily need to add a player at the moment. You know, eventually you do want to. You have that space. You want to use it, but uh, this this start and the way things have been going kind of affords them the opportunity to really, um, you know, not certainly have to make any panic moves. And we know with Ali Curtis and Bill Manning how important it is to get the right sort of characters into the room. That was definitely a struggle last year in terms of Agar Akeche and Greg Vanderveel and, and the sense that they just didn't work out both perhaps on and off the field in terms of the way they, they fit into the group. With Pozuelo, we know they went through an almost laborious task of figuring out not just the player but the man, and it really seems like that's what they're trying to do with every signing going forward. Now, obviously... In this world of of everyone wanting quick signings and kind of shiny new players all the time, that's uh, that doesn't necessarily play very well, especially with what we've seen from the back line so far. But uh, I, I really wonder if, if we're going to be waiting till the summer now to see new players brought in for Toronto FC just because of uh, this process and the fact that uh, I do think they want to make sure that when they make these signings now, they want to get them absolutely right in terms of the fit. Well, and I think... You hit on the major point. The club has gotten off to a, a very solid start, second place in the East with games in hand on everybody. The the necessity, I guess, or or the uh, the desire or need to go out and bring in a player on Tam right now is not as paramount as it would be if you flipped the record around and they were sitting, say, where Atlanta United or New York Red Bulls are in the Eastern Conference standings. And as you say, any technical director, club president, general manager, whatever you want, the, the people in charge of making the decisions in terms of who to bring in and who not to bring in It has to be done with a level of due diligence. And as you said, there are a lot of people out there. And I get these questions almost on a daily basis from fans. What are you hearing about (laughs) X signing or Y signing? Or what about this player they want to bring in? Or what? It is important that, yes, you want to get 
a player in here that can help the team in the in the immediate in the immediacy. But it is more important that you get the right players in, that you get players that can complement your team as opposed to just trying to plug players in and and hope that they fit in the situation. Taking the extra time to me is part of the due diligence and it is the absolute right thing to do and certainly the team's performance in the early portion of this season has afforded them that opportunity. I hear from people all the time and yeah the defending hasn't been awesome. They've conceded 11 goals in six games. It's not good enough. It's not sustainable Mm -hmm. over the long term. But you are scoring goals. You are winning games. It, It gives you some time to at least evaluate what you have what you need, and the proper players to bring in to fill those holes. We are not in a crisis situation here. Uh, The defending has been problematic, yes, at times, but we're talking mental errors, giveaways. The goalkeeper's got to be, he's got to be better. Because frankly, Mm -hmm. Alex Bono right now is giving up at least one bad goal a game. They're giving away penalties. Those are, those are, those are correctable situations. For Bono, it's not, it's not a matter of ability. We know he's capable. Look at what he yeah. did during the 2017 MLS Cup playoffs. That's all you need to look at in terms of his capability. For him, it's just a matter of cleaning up the mental side of the game and, and get him doing what he needs to be doing. And that's correctable. You know, in terms of bringing in players, again, I think it's important that, that Curtis... Manning, Vanny, they have to all be on the same page and they have to make sure that they are bringing in the right player and not necessarily the quick, the player that they can get the quickest. Well, yeah, speaking of being on the same page organizationally, we had uh, a bit of a blow up this week I wanted to talk about uh, with Josie Altidore. Um, coming a bit out of nowhere, his, uh, you know, talking about uh, a trainer that the club had, well, he thought the club had fired because uh, Sebastian Javinko had moved on and he was a, he was a trainer related to Sebastian Javinko, someone who was working with Toronto FC's designated players, uh, Seba himself and Michael Bradley, and who had helped Josie Altidore through a number of injury concerns, um, evidently uh, went off on a huge rant with the media after uh, their 4-3 win against Minnesota United. Did not necessarily look great on the club. I mean, he called out Bill Manning. He called out Bill Manning's ego, saying that was the key in in this uh, trainer not coming back, which, you know, never looks great. Bill Manning kind of took the high road afterwards, uh, saying, you know, in comparing Josie Altidore to, uh, to a, a child a little bit and, and going off on a tantrum, which maybe was his his kind of muted sh- uh, shot back at at Josie Alzador, but certainly um, saying that everything was good. They'd hugged it out and and everything would Do be good going forward. you believe that they've hugged it out? Uh, it's, it's so interesting because if, I don't know, it, it feels like if this was just about a trainer, if this was the only thing going on, then... It, it it's weird that it got public. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a really bizarre situation, and and with everything we've seen, especially this off season, in terms of um, kind of the 
I don't know, the divides among the players and, and management and, and all of this, it, it just really struck me as, as bizarre and maybe something that, uh, without reading too much into it, has somewhat of deeper roots. I don't know, what were your thoughts? You were, you were there, I believe, uh, and yeah. I, I, wasn't, I couldn't make it out to the game. Well, you know, first, we do things a little bit differently post-game uh, than what we've done in the past. In the past, uh, media were permitted into the locker room, like right into the change room area. Mm-hmm. And now the media access is sort of in a back training room, um, just off of the locker room. So you know, before, you could sort of tell who you were going to get and who you, who you couldn't. And you could tell, you know, quite often there were times last year where you'd walk in the locker room after the game because of you go to the to to Greg Vanny's press conference first, and then you go mm-hmm. into the locker room maybe twenty minutes to half an hour after the game is over. And there were a number of times where Sebastian Jovinko's locker had already been cleaned out and he was gone, so you knew you weren't going to yeah. get him. Now it's sort of you see players come out and you try and figure out. I, I Friday night I was playing the game of who are we going to get? Who who will we be speaking to tonight? Pozuelo had the two goals and the assist, so we figure you're going to get him. Uh, Hamilton with the the you know the, the winning goal, the two goals. You knew you were going to get him. And then it's like, who else are we going to get? And then Josie comes strolling out very casually and says, all right, guys, uh, you want to have a little chit-chat? <laughs> and immediately I thought, this, this could interesting. I'm not sure what's going to happen here because mm-hmm. he did have the injury, but he had played well, relatively well. So there was nothing really alarming in that sense, but Josie's one that in the past, he will speak to the media when he has something to say or a message to deliver, mm-hmm. whether it be to the club or to the fans, to the co- to whoever. So Josie comes strolling out. Oh, okay, this this could be interesting. And he started in immediately on huh. on Bill Manning, and then he got into the game of egos and that sort of thing. And it took everyone. I mean, it was it was shocking. All of the media members heading back up to the press box. There was certainly a buzz, and a game that there were a number of storylines there to begin with all of a sudden came, became very much about one storyline, and that was Josie versus Manning. Mm-hmm. I think the club, the club uh, Manning uh, yesterday held a, a conference call with members of the media, uh, a, a call of which I was on, and I, I will give Bill Manning and I will give Toronto FC all the credit in the world for dealing with that situation in the immediate, you know, if not immediately after it happened, but certainly first day of business after that game, Bill Manning is on the phone talking to the media and trying to get out in front of the story and mm-hmm. own the story. The talk of the two of them hugging it out and, and things are all of a sudden kumbaya and <laughs> the trainer's back in the fold and, you know, we're just ironing out some details Obviously, I think they're you know, because the trainer is back in the fold or, or will be back in the fold. If you follow Josie's Instagram, you know that. I'm not. I'm not so sure. 
to me, and, and this is just me as a as a media member or reporter, I look at things and I see three sides to every story. And in this mm-hmm. case, there's Josie's side, there's Manning's side, and then the truth probably resides somewhere in the middle. But to think that everything is just hunky dory and coolio between the two of them, I'm not. I'm not so sure. Um, the question was asked whether there would be any sort of supplementary discipline um, for Josie uh, with regard to the, the incident that happened on the, on the Friday night, which Manning mm-hmm. smartly declined to answer. Uh, said he wanted to keep any you know any details of of a potential fine or suspension by the club within you know the the, the four walls of of the training ground and 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 you know not making that public that's that's a smart move on his behalf but you have to think the club is i i can't see manning taking this you know he says that he took the game of egos comment with a grain of salt mm-hmm. those are his words i'm i'm not <laughs> i'm not so sure and just speaking as a man i'm not so sure that if i was called out the way that he was called out in that setting on Friday night, that I would be maybe as forgiving, maybe being the word. So I, I, although I think the portion of this uh, escapade or or this, this situation, whatever you, saga, whatever you want to call it, the public Mm -hmm. portion of this, I think is done. I don't think we're going to hear anything more about it right now. But I do think there's more bubbling behind the scenes uh, at the B- up at the BMO training ground between probably, you know, at least Altador and Manning. There could be other players. Uh, you know, Bradley was a bit blindsided by it when he was asked about it maybe five minutes after Josie had come out and made his comments. Yeah. But I, I will give Michael Bradley credit. He was extremely diplomatic in his remarks. Uh, to the media after the game because he, he didn't come out and throw Josie under the bus. He didn't throw Manning under the bus. He played it pretty much down the middle. So I give Michael Bradley a ton of credit on that, but I, I don't think this is done by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And uh, in some ways, it, it kind of does help that Josie will be out for couple of weeks now with injury and um, maybe that will help the club to to deal with it internally a little bit better but like you said I think uh, Jeff Nesker over at Waking the Red wrote a p- pretty good piece about this it's it's not a good look for the club if you have your player coming out and and bashing management like that uh, it, it's it just doesn't you, you want to keep family <laughs> business in the family exactly yeah yeah, you you don't yeah. want it's not a good look for anyone. It's it's not a good look on Josie either. Because no. I'm I'm sure Josie probably doesn't like that the the analogy to the uh you know Manning was asked immediately what his his thoughts were on it and he said if you're a parent, you've had that kid have a tantrum, throw a tantrum, yeah. you know, a childish tantrum in a in a public mm-hmm. place, and it's embarrassing, but you, you you deal with it quietly behind closed doors. I can't see Josie necessarily liking that analogy all that much. No. But there is some v- real validity to that. Speaking as a parent, the, the way that situation went down the other night, 
wasn't unlike the situation that Manning described, uh, you know, with a parent having a kid throw a tantrum in, you know, in, in the supermarket and, you know, not getting their way and kicking up a fuss. The, the, the analogy can be made. It's, it's, it's valid. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah, like you said. We'll we'll see where this goes going forward, or maybe we won't as it continues to play behind closed doors. But uh, certainly, there seems to be. I don't know. There, there's there seems to be something going on this season in terms of everything we've seen, and um, maybe we're reading too much into it. But certainly, comments like those that Josie Altador make don't help. Uh, the, the perception of the, of everything is as happy with this club or all for one as the uh, as the slogan is. Um, but let's talk about the, uh, before we wrap up here the game this weekend and uh, the game that might be again a little bit forgotten because we do have that CAMPL opener and I know uh, yourself and a lot of the media will be down there as well uh, covering that game as as it is such a milestone moment for Canadian soccer. But uh, a couple of hours later. Uh, Toronto FC will take on the Portland Timbers at BMO Field. Portland, of course, coming off that MLS Cup finals appearance, but things have gone surprisingly not that great for them this season. I mean, they sit 11th in the Western Conference. Only Vancouver have scored less goals in the West so far this year, and uh, they are often a second-half team, so you kind of want to take points off them while you can, but at the same time, certainly wouldn't have expected them to be a, a one-win team seven games into the season. So perhaps another opportunity for Toronto FC here to bank even more points ahead of you know a Gold Cup summer where things become a little more unpredictable in terms of the the players they might potentially lose and you know compared to the players everyone else might lose. So you you kind of want to get as many points as you can now, and certainly uh, kicking teams while they're down like Portland is is a good opportunity to do so. Yeah, uh, you know what? You you outlined their struggles so far this season, and that to me is a trap. I would ignore mm. the standings if I'm Toronto FC. I'd, and, and they will. They, they will take this game as seriously as any other game. The Timbers, as you say, are a one-win team, but they are coming off of that win um, last week in Columbus against a pretty good crew team, a crew mm-hmm. team that has been a little bit inconsistent at times this year. They've lost a couple of, uh, they got blown out in Philly a couple of weeks ago. What should be of co- some concern to TFC is, n- yes, that they beat Columbus, but it's the way that they beat them, the way that they scored the goals. The first goal came off of a set piece that Stefan just uncharacteristically mishandled. Mm-hmm. The set piece defending for TFC for the Reds is as really been fine this year. It hasn't been a, their Achilles heel by any stretch. The second, though, the second goal, though, is one that TFC, TFC should be very worried about because it came off of, A, a turnover, and the ball ends up going out into a wide position, is crossed back into the box by Blanco, and uh, a Bobisi is waiting there completely unmarked, and he scored a fairly easy goal to put uh, to put Portland up 2-0. That you look at the highlight of that goal, it is yep. the prototypical goal allowed by TFC this season. <laughs> Turn the ball gets turned over in a bad spot, ends up out wide. TFC can't deal with it from the wide position. Ball played back into the box and to a, to an unmarked player and it's knocked in. 
That is, that's, that's TFC's goals conceded in a nutshell. And the third goal is off of a, a throw-in really late on in the game. So Columbus at that point would have been thinking more about trying to get up the field. But still, it's a throw-in deep in the Columbus defensive portion of the field. And the ball gets played in from the wing. It, it, it is never dealt with once it reaches the box. And uh, Marrera ends up uh, scoring that third goal that put that game completely on ice. You know, Vanny and his staff will be looking at those highlights, certainly will be looking at that film this week. And they will be desperate to see that they do not allow those kinds of goals on Saturday in what should be a very winnable game for Toronto FC. It's at home against a team that has struggled this season, but they have a little bit of momentum coming in. Uh, it's certainly one that, that Toronto FC will want to be a little bit wary about. Yeah, for sure. And it, it, certainly if, we've, if we know uh, what kind of has been Toronto's Achilles heel in terms of defensively this season, you can be sh- rest assured that the opposition will be keying in on that. And Columbus, a team with a lot of good wide players who could certainly cause Toronto some problems. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a very interesting match. And, and, and like you said, uh, I mean, it, this, the rule goes for MLS in general. We saw Vancouver Whitecaps beat LAFC um, last week. So uh, there's no you know, there's no easy matches in MLS just because there's such ridiculous parity and anyone on any given day can can show up and have, uh, you right. know, a surprising result. DC United uh, got undone by uh, by New York City, a team that came here a couple of weeks ago and looked like they looked didn't belong dead, yeah. on the same didn't belong on the same field as Toronto FC. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, anyone that's one of the beauties of, of MLS is that. There's, there's always a reason to watch the game because anyone can beat anyone at any given time. Yeah, certainly. So, uh, should be a very interesting, uh, should be a very interesting match between Toronto and Portland. And, and like I said, I'll be there. So, uh, I'll have plenty of coverage of that on next week's show. Uh, but that does bring us to the end of, uh, of this week's edition. Michael, it's been a pleasure as always having you on. Always a pleasure myself to, to, uh, to be able to join you, Mitchell and, uh, you know, feel free to give me a call anytime. And to the rest of you, thanks for listening. Uh, I truly hope you enjoy the start of something that I think will change Canadian soccer forever. Uh, by the time we talk next week, we'll, we will have legitimate Canadian Premier League games to talk about, which is uh, pretty exciting and, and certainly something that will be new to this show. So look forward to doing that and have a great week, everyone. Yeah.